your feet and turn your Bibles to John chapter 15, verse 7 through 11. Praise God for this wonderful music ministry. We praise God for the director, Sister Debbie. Amen. Today we would like to continue our series entitled, I'm Connected. I'm Connected. John chapter 15, verse 7 through 11. Last week we looked at the first seven verses. This week we'll look at the next four. May we remember that we speak to God primarily through praise and prayer, and that God speaks to us primarily through his word. And it is to his word that we go. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Last week we titled, last week's sermon was Abide and Bear Fruit. And this week's subject is Abide and Be Blessed. Abide and Be Blessed. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. And I beg you, Father God, to use your word to penetrate our hearts. I beg you, Father, to allow your word to do what no human being can do, what my works and intellect cannot do. Do, Father God, what only you can do. Surgically remove anything in us that does not glorify you. Allow your word to be a mirror to us in order that we all would see ourselves. Help us to adore your son even the more through this preached word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Abide and be, be blessed. You know, some of the most thoughtful and entertaining commercials right now on television, in my opinion, come from car insurance companies. Uh, Geico, State Farm, Allstate and Progressive, uh, each have been coming up with some very creative ways to communicate the benefits that their customers receive for being connected to them. Love the little Geico commercials. Uh, most of them are clean, so I really like that. 
But you know, in John chapter 15, Jesus outdoes those car insurance commercials. In John chapter 15, Jesus takes an analogy of a vine. And he shows his listeners that he is the true vine and that they are the branches. And that as long as they are connected to him, as long as they abide in him, as long as they submerge their heart, their mind, and their soul in him, they will be fruitful. They will bear much fruit, which means that they will look like him. In this text today, in verses 7 through 11, we see that Jesus is communicating his benefits to his believers. He is communicating the benefits of, of bearing fruit. And today I want to point out three benefits of being connected to Christ. Three benefits of abiding in Christ that I believe that Jesus puts in front of us here. And the first benefit we're going to spend the most time on. And that is the benefit or the blessing of answered prayer. The blessing of answered prayer. Take a look at your Bibles and turn uh, to the 15th chapter and look at verse 6. Verse 6 and verse 7 of John chapter 15. And let's compare these two verses. In verse 6... Jesus said, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus here reveals to his disciples that those who aren't being made to look like him, those who are not connected to him, those who are not abiding in him, that they will one day be judged. Just as a a vine dresser takes away unproductive and diseased branches, so will God one day Judge those who have decided to live their lives apart from the vine. They will experience the the devastating and most unfortunate separation, a, a separation from the triune God. They will forever face condemnation and intense, intense pain because they rejected their creator and the ultimate caretaker. Now where verse 6 is written in the negative, verse 7 is written in the positive. Look at verse 7. While verse 6 shows the destructions of those who don't abide, verse 7 shows the, the blessedness of those who do abide. Jesus said, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What a great contrast. 
We go from being burned in verse 6 for not abiding to having a, a treasure of answered prayer if we abide. What an uplifting, an uplifting verse. This has to be one of the top 10 verses or uplifting verses in all of Scripture. This has to be in the top 10%. If we believe in Christ and know that he cannot lie, then we should be able to rejoice when we read this. However, like all of Scripture, I believe that we receive the utmost joy in meditating on this verse when we understand it properly. If we don't interpret this verse properly, if we proof text it, if we read it out of context, then this verse can call us, cause us great pain. It can be the source of our confusion and depression. Some denominations and some, some people have interpreted this scripture and other verses like this to mean that if we are Christians, then God is obligated to give us anything and everything we ask. Some teach less discerning Christians or people. That all they have to do is is name it and claim it. And God will give you whatever you want. And, and, And if you don't, if you don't get what you prayed for, then it's because your faith is inept. Your faith is dead. Something is wrong with you. Now those of us who live in the real world, those of us who know that this verse is not a blank check for Christians, those of us who know human nature, who know and, and, and have personal experience and who carefully read the Bible, we know that God has never and never will be our personal genie. We know that this verse is, is not a blank check. And I'm glad it's not. Aren't you glad that this is not a blank check for answer prayer? I wouldn't trust myself with a blank check. For answered prayer. See, I know and believe wholeheartedly that my life would not be better if God had answered all of my prayers the way that I wanted them to be answered and when I wanted them to be answered. And if you're honest with yourself, you can stop and praise God too. That God has not answered all of your prayers. What Jesus reveals to us about this verse, if we read it contextually and properly, gives us way more joy, gives us way more hope than a false prosperity gospel interpretation. Jesus is saying in this verse that those who are intimately submerged in him and that those who uh, allow the word to marinate in their heart, who allow the word of God to soak in them day after day, that they will receive the blessing and the lifestyle of unanswered prayer. People who have a lifestyle of being plugged into Christ, who are truly connected to Christ, are those who experience his power in their everyday lives. Now, why do they experience this power? Why do they experience this answer prayer? Is it because of their works? Do we experience and receive whatever we ask, as Jesus said, because of our works? Do we earn it? No. 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 
answered prayer is a result of grace and faith. Both are gifts from God. My prayers aren't answered because I deserve it. Answer prayer is a gift from God. So what is it? How do we receive answer prayer? And why do we receive answer prayer? Well, Jesus shows us. He says a person who abides, a person who who is in him is a person who is receiving answer prayer because their prayers are conditioned by him. They are people who are so intimate with him that when they pray, they are praying his will. Turn back a chapter and go to John chapter 14. And let's look at verse 13 and verse 14. Whenever we read the Bible, it's important that we don't just read one verse and, and, and go. It's important that we, we know the context of that verse. Jesus here is in the midst of a sermon. And earlier on in the sermon, he says these words. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Don't miss it. Read it again. Whatever you ask in my name. That's the key. This I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now notice, Jesus repeats the phrase, in my name. He does it twice in two verses. This is the key to an awesome prayer life. Praying in the name of Jesus is not a magic formula. Okay? If we talk to God and neglect to say in Jesus' name, it does not mean that God has not heard us. Praying in Jesus' name means praying according to Jesus' character or in line with God the Father's will, which is Christ's will. The only way that a person's prayer life is in line with the will of God, the only way that a person's prayer life is in line with the character of Jesus is if they have been abiding. Remember what to abide means. It means to soak. It means to dwell, to persevere. If they have been abiding in his word. Remember, that's the main point of chapter 15. The main point of chapter 15 is that those who are connected to him, that those who are abiding in him are those who are bearing fruit. They are seeing the evidence of God in their lives. Intimacy with Christ brings answered prayers because our prayers are not saturated with selfishness, but with godliness and a Christ-centeredness. The more and more we become sanctified, the more and more our prayer life becomes sanctified. The more and more our prayers resemble the Lord's prayer. See, Christ taught his disciples that when we are abiding in him, we pray less for physical luxuries. Remember Christ's model prayer. And more for spiritual necessities. You catch that? When a person is abiding, when they're in Christ, Christ is shaping their prayer life and and they're not praying for the H2 Hummer. 
Not praying for the big mansion and the, and the, and the bling bling. That instead, their, their prayers begin to become more and more focused on, on things that, that matter. Their prayers begin to be drenched with, with a, a likeness of Christ. Begin to be drenched like Jesus' prayers was drenched. With a passion for the Father's will. Their prayers begin to be drenched with, with words of reconciliation. Seeking the Lord's forgiveness. Their, their, their prayers begin to be drenched with, with not just a, a personal, Lord, give me, but give us. Lord, give us our daily bread. Lord, lead us not into temptation. The more we abide in Christ, the more... Our prayers resemble Christ. God is saying to us today that when we allow Christ's word to transform us, when we allow Christ's word to be what fills us, when we allow Christ's word to be our authority, our final authority, our greatest authority, then he has no problem promising us that that he will answer our prayers. Every White House president since the 1930s has had a press secretary. A press secretary is responsible for collecting information about the actions and events within the president's administration and around the world. The press secretary speaks to the president about what he wants him to communicate to the media that day. He is updated on the latest news and he knows the stance of the president's administration. And when the press secretary who daily briefs the media about what's going on with the president for the week and about what's going on with the country and what they're trying to do, when he stands in front of the media, I I doubt if the president is watching. I doubt if the president is in in some room nervous about what he's going to say. I doubt if Obama is looking at Richard Gibbs like, boy, I don't know about this today. Maybe I shouldn't fly over here and talk to such and such. And why is he not nervous about what his press secretary has to say? He's not nervous because they have abided together. He's not nervous because they are out for the same thing. He's not nervous because that press secretary was picked because he supports him. It's the same thing with God and us. When we are abiding in God, when we are drenched in the word of God, God says, whatever you ask, it will be done. Not because of your works or because of your merit, but because you have been submerged in his son. And he knows that his son's word, his son's worldview is now your worldview. J.F. Woodford, a, a wonderful uh, theologian, had this, and he 
perhaps best illustrated this when he said, whatever you ask, whatever you ask from the Lord can be promised to us because God is now conditioning and controlling our thoughts. God promises that he will make a way because it is him. It is him that is carrying his will out through us and through our prayers. Now, I think that we need to note that it says, whatever you ask, it will be given. It didn't say whenever you want it. And it did not say however you want it. A lot of time, God answers our prayers in ways that we don't even see. If we was to take an inventory of our prayer life, we would see that God answers our prayers way more often than we think. And he may not do it in the most obvious ways, but if you stop and think about it, he does it. He does it. My grandmother used to say, God may not come when we want him. But he's always on time. God knows when to give us what we pray for. Like a mother knows when to give her child sweets and when to give her child meats. God knows when we need what we need. And when we receive it, he has given it to us. When it is good for us and when it glorifies him. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified, when you bear much fruit, and so so prove to be my disciples. God says, I'm glorified when supernatural things happen in your life. That's what bearing fruit is. Bearing fruit is supernatural things. He says, I'm glorified when answer prayer happens, when heaven and earth collide because you've been seeking me. He says, I'm I'm glorified when my words are abiding in you and I'm obligated by my word and character to answer your prayer. I'm glorified when you surrender to me and allow me to be the the awesome vine dresser that I am. I'm glorified when you let me prune you and cultivate you the way that you should be pruned and cultivated. I'm, I'm glorified when you allow your life to be hidden in me and when you allow me to control you in such a way that you look like my son. I'm glorified. The last part of verse 8 says, so that you prove to be my disciples. Who are we proving it to? Are we proving it to God? No. (laughs) God knows who his disciples are. God knows who who his disciples are. He's known that before the foundation of the world. We're not proving it to God. He's saying that when you abide in me and when you bear fruit and when the world sees me and my name is made famous because you are in me and people around you see me, you will prove to those people that that you are mine. 
He says, I want to answer your prayers. I want to come through for you. I want to give you strength. I want to give you power. Because when you receive that power, if you've been abiding in me, you're going to point back to me and I'm glorified. And your co-workers will see. There's something different about this woman. She's not just walking the walk, talking to talk, but she's walking the walk. She don't just talk about Christianity. She is Christianity. She doesn't just talk about the gospel. Her, her lifestyle is the gospel. It, it is good news. As you abide in me, Christ said, I'm going to bless you. Not, not get off the material things. I'm not some other prosperity path. I'm going to bless you with patience. I'm going to bless you with love. I'm going to bless you with long suffering. I'm going to bless you with gentleness. I'm going to bless you with the divine perspectives that others will see that truly this is a disciple of Christ. Something different others will say about this man. The way he loves his wife. Something different about this college student. In the midst of a secular university, there's something different about them as they are not getting caught up in the secularism of the university, but they're abiding in the one who holds the universe. There's something different about this brother. He, he doesn't just, just, just come to church and just go about his week, but every day, every time I talk to him, it's like honey is coming from his lips. You know, That's what David said, the word of God is, is, is as sweet as honey every time I, I talk to them. There's something different, and it's because they've been abiding. They've been abiding. They've been abiding. Blessing of abiding. The blessing of abiding is answered prayer. The second blessing of abiding in Christ is found in verse 9 and 10. Let's quickly observe it and apply it. Verse 9 and 10. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Second blessing of abiding in Christ. Second fruit that we see is that we experience The incomparable love of Christ. We experience the incomparable love of Christ. Incomparable means incomparable. The the, the, uh, love that just takes us over. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The question then becomes, how much and how did the Father love Jesus? Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we see Jesus approaching John. He tells John that he wants to be baptized. John the Baptist says, look, Lord, I'm not even able to tie up your your, your gym shoes, let alone baptize you. Modern paraphrase. John humbles himself and then baptizes Jesus. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father shows his love for his son just like we would show our love for our child at their baptism. After not speaking for centuries verbally, after not allowing anyone to hear his voice 
in a very manifestable way. God speaks so that those around him could hear. As a proud parent speaks over his child, he says, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Visible God decides to speak verbally to affirm his son because he loves his son. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see God the Father showing us how much he loves his son. He he shows us in that chapter that the whole cosmos, the, the whole world, The whole world was created to to give his son glory. And that those of us who are in Christ, that we were made to find our fulfillment in him, our purpose in him, our life in him. God created the world that he would receive glory, that his son's name would be raised above every name. And that every single knee would bow. God loved his son. In an incomparable way, an incredible way, an an unfathomable way, in an eternal way, in a, a perfect way. Nothing could ever separate God the Father's love for God the Son. And that's why this verse, that's why this verse should encourage us to abide. That's why this verse should encourage us to submerge and to soak into Christ's word daily to make the necessary sacrifices to know Christ. Because Christ said, the same love that the, love, that the Lord, that God has loved me with, the same way that he has loved me, I love you. His love is eternal. I'm so glad that once I'm in Christ, once I'm really in Christ, that I can't be taken out of his hand. (laughs) That's some good love. (laughs) Uh, 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 His love is not a for the love of Ray J type of love. His love is not a a Keisha Cole type love. A couple years ago, Keisha Cole, some years ago, it was was a catchy song. That's why I know the words. Amen. (laughs) I had to stop and I said, wait a minute. She says, love, I never knew what I was missing, but I knew when we started kissing that I found love. That's some shallow love. If you got to kiss somebody to know that you love them, you're not talking about love. If you've got to sleep with somebody to know that you love them, you're not talking about love. You're talking about a shaky love, a shallow love. Oh, the love that, that God the Father, the love that Jesus loves us with, it, it, out, it outweighs the, the love or lust of the world. It's not a one-night stand type of love. It's not I love you because of what you drive type of love. It's not I love you because what's in your bank account type of love. It's a love that is a in spite of type of love, an agape type of love. Uh, you get on my nerves every day, child, but I still love you type of love. You sin every day and fall short every day, but I still love you type of love. It's a deep love, a sacred love, protecting love, a craving love, a, a pruning love, a, a merciful love, a, a love that the world can't comprehend and that the world can't take away. <laughs> 
Some things the world can take away. Some things people can take away. <laughs> we are connected to the true vine. We experience the depths of Christ's love. And we know that man's love does not compare. Just as a branch absorbs in the nutrients and the water from the vine, just as a, a branch's life is, 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 is focused and, and is built on that vine, so should our life be, be built in Christ. So should we know that if we are not connected or halfway connected or sometimes connected or once a week we're connected, if, we, if, we, if we're that type of connected, then we're really not connected and we're really missing a, a true divine love. Now, I do know that a secular portrayal of love is oftentimes mystified talk about love is just so mystical. Next 10 people what love is, they'll give you 10 different definitions. Once heard a, 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 a man who murdered his wife say that he loved his wife. Mystical. Your love is the way I, you don't define love the way I define love. Well, Jesus shows us what true love is in verse 10. He says, let me define love for you. Let me show you what love is. Look at your Bibles. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus makes it so clear. He takes the mysticism out of what we want to put in love and he shows us that love, abiding in his love, is obeying his commands. He says, just like I came to this earth and professed to love my father. He says, basically, I, I backed up my profession with my lifestyle. He says, if you love me, your profession will match your lifestyle. You will obey my commandments. Loving Christ means being obedient to Christ. Loving Christ means responding to the word of Christ. It means that we, we take time to take inventory of our, our daily lives, our inconsistencies. And we don't, we don't just waddle in them. We don't accept them and say, well, this is just who I am. It means that when we are confronted with things that don't please Christ, that we beg God for the strength to repent and we turn from them. We turn from them because we love Christ more. God gives us the strength to do it. Chapter before, chapter after, Jesus emphasizes this helper, this comforter, this paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit that, that, that is going to come and that's going to give us the strength to do what we could not do ourselves. Loving God involves wholehearted sacrifice. It involves not allowing 
habitual sins to to rule our lives. It involves us not willfully breaking his commandments. It involves us letting go of our guilty pleasures that we like to hide and like to, 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 to dance around and saying, God, you can have every area of my life. I surrender it all to you. I love my wife. And I know that she loves me. The reason that I know that she loves me and the reason that she knows that I love her is not just because we verbalize it daily. It's not just because we say we love each other when we're walking out the door or sitting on a couch or or doing something together. The way that we know that we love each other is by the way we treat each other. See, there's, there's there's some things about my wife that I know she doesn't like. My wife doesn't like open cabinets. And open drawers. She told me before we got married, I don't like open cabinets. When we first got married, one day I just came in the kitchen and opened everything and walked out just to see how she would respond. But she doesn't like that. She, there's things about her that she doesn't. There's things that she knows that I don't like. And the way that I prove my love to her and show her that I love her is by not intentionally trying to try to irritate her. It's by not intentionally doing the things that I know she doesn't like. And the way that she shows her love is that she doesn't willfully do things to hurt me, to irritate me. Same way with God. Jesus says, if you love My father, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Theologian Abraham Cooper once said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, the sovereign of all, does not cry minds. There's not a square inch of our lives which God does not look at and say, that area of your life belongs to me. Do you hear the Lord calling an area of your life out today? Not only do you hear him calling an area out of your life today, do you surrender that area to the Lord and say, Lord, you can have it. You know, it seems fun, but you can have it. Lord, it feels good, but you can have it. When we abide in Christ, when we say that we're Christ, we say, Lord, every area, every square inch of my life is yours. And we'll hear Christ saying when we say, Lord, I surrender in this area, We'll hear him saying, cast your cares on me. I've given you the strength to do so. Not only will we experience answered prayer and Christ's incomparable love, but the third result of abiding in Christ is that we experience world-shocking joy. World-shocking joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says that these things, everything that I've been talking to you about, the, the abiding in me, the, the bearing fruit, the praying, the, the loving, the keeping my commandments, the reason that I have talked to you, the reason that I have preached to you, it's because I want you to have joy. And I don't want you to just to have joy. I want you to have full joy. I want you to have a joy that nothing and no one else can give you. I want to give you a full cup of me. <laughs> full cup of me. You know, when we hear verses like this, keep my commandments and you will experience my love. You will abide. If you abide in me, you will keep my commandments. You will love me. Uh, a lot of times when we think about commandments, we think or when we hear someone preach against sin or challenge us to give over areas of our lives, uh, we, we almost uh, naturally get kind of upset or get irritated or feel like someone's judging us. Or condemning us. And if we be real about it, when we, sometimes when we think about God's commandments, we think that the reason God has commanded us not to do something is because uh, God is boring. When we think about the stuff that God tells us not to do, a lot of times that's the fun stuff. If I give my life to God, I'm going to miss out on a whole bunch of fun stuff. I won't be happy not getting wasted on Saturday night. I won't be happy not smoking that weed. I won't be happy settling down and marrying that, that woman who I've been holding on forever but telling her one day. I won't be happy. It's like, man, Christians, you guys just steal all the joy out of life, all the fun, all these you can do's. It kind of cramps my style. Listen, Jesus said all these things that I've spoken. It's not to cramp your style. It's not to make you live a boring life. He said it's the exact opposite. I command these things that you might have joy. A full cup of joy. closing. My wife and I, of course, had a, was blessed with a child, Nia, about four or five months ago. And the other day, I was sitting in our home, began to look around, and I noticed that there was a lot of things low to the ground that in about six months... <laughs> or to a year, uh, Nia will be able to get into. And I began to mentally take inventory of the changes we had to make in our house in order that Nia would not hurt herself. Begin to think about gates and plugs <laughs> and moving things higher. And the reason I, I thought about that, and the reason why when she's younger, I'm going to yell, no, don't touch that. The reason why I'm putting up gates is not because I don't want her to have fun. It's not because I want to ruin 
her joy. But actually, it's the exact opposite. I know that if she takes a knife into that electrical socket, socket, the 4th of July is going to come early. I know that it's going to harm her. So I protect her from things that are going to harm her, things that are going to hinder her from living a productive life. Jesus gives us the commandment to love God with our whole heart, our entire being, our entire soul, our entire mind. He gives us the commandment to love our neighbors, not because he doesn't want us having fun, but because he knows that that's not really fun, that's dangerous. He he tells us not to be promiscuous, not because he wants to hinder our life, but because he wants us to have life. He tells us that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Not because he wants us to not have fun, but because he knows that marriage any other way is not what it intends to be. And it's going to kill us. It's going to harm us. He, he tells us not to lie, not to gossip, not to criticize uh, uh, un- undeservedly because he knows that sin saps life. Sin saps joy. Sin hinders us. Knowing Christ. It hinders us from knowing true joy. You may be holding on to something. And, and this year, you, last year, maybe you didn't abide in Christ. Maybe you weren't connected to Christ. Maybe you weren't submerged in Christ the way that you should be because something was hindering you. And you thought that if that left, that you wouldn't have joy. I come to tell you, when you repent of your sins and turn from that thing that Christ does not find delight in, and you fill yourself with him, and you abide in him, and you allow him to transform every inch of your life, he will fill you with the joy that life really has he offers. Christ speaks to us. Because he wants us to experience a deep joy. Christ put on human flesh in order that we may experience a deep joy. Christ lived a sinless life in order that we would experience the deepest type of joy in him. Christ went to Calvary in order that we would experience true joy. Christ was buried and was raised on the third day. And ascended to the Father in order that we would truly have life and have it more abundantly. The blessings of being connected to Christ outweighs the blessings and benefits of being connected to any and anything else. You will receive answered prayer. You will feel an incomparable love. And you will possess a world-shocking joy. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we pray. Pray, Father, that you will be pleased with us as we 
seek to abide in you. We pray, Father God, that you will help us to find our refuge in you, to be connected to you and not to other things. Help us, Father God. Allow your Holy Spirit to to prune us. Allow us to bear much fruit, Father God, that we would glorify you, bring glory to you. Allow us to see, Father, that when we are consumed and conditioned by you, that we look like you, we talk like you, and we pray like you. And you have no problem with sending out us out to the world, sending us out to the media with your message and with a prayer because you know, Father, that we're all about your will. Be glorified in our lives. Help us to be connected in 2011. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.